Well, we are in a series right now called The Goat, The Greatest of All Time, and when you think of the goat, you might have a certain person that comes to mind uh, that they are the greatest at this. Right now, if I'm being honest, when I think of the goat, I think of a documentary I saw on Netflix last night about Rubik's Cubes. Um, there is a brand new documentary. It's about the greatest Rubik's Cubes players of all time, which I didn't even know that was a conversation that was happening, but apparently it is. Uh, has anybody ever solved a Rubik's Cube before? Okay, three of us. The rest of us are like, I just guessed and I was way off because Rubik's Cubes, you can't just guess. There's like a whole algorithm in this documentary. It showed um, that, that they, there's these guys that know how to do it and they can do it in like 10 seconds. And it's scary because I don't even know what just happened. Like they showed one guy, the greatest Rubik's Cube player of all time, in my opinion. You could debate me after, but I'd say it's Max Park after watching this documentary. And he's eating a sandwich and not even looking while he's solving a Rubik's Cube. I'm like, it takes me a lot of effort to eat the sandwich, but he solved a Rubik's Cube. So when we think of greatest all time, there's something really admirable and inspiring and exciting when you see somebody who's just better than everybody else in the room, right? And sometimes you're like, I wish I could do that. It makes you almost want to, to mimic it. Like, sometimes we'll go out to eat and we'll eat something fantastic. And what do you think? Like, I want to learn how to make that so that we can make it at home. I, I took my girls um, last week to New York for a few days. And some of you are like, New York is open. Yes, they've unlocked the door. We can go back in. And it's actually a great time to go. No one's going to New York, so there weren't waits anywhere. And we went to this one restaurant because we heard through a local that they had a 24-layer cake, which some of you are just excited thinking about that right now, right? And so I'm going to show you guys a picture of this cake, all right? Now, <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus, for food, right? Man, if I asked my daughter today, what's the greatest food of all time? What would she say? She'd say that cake we had last week. As we were eating it, as we were eating it, uh, she said, Dad, can we make this for my birthday next month? And I said, no, we can't. I don't know how to. But that's what happens when you're around something great, like a food. You want to mimic it, right? That's why all of these kids... 20 years ago, when I was a kid, we, we were mimicking, like, Allen Iverson, because he's, like, the greatest ball handler. Now people are mimicking, like, Steph Curry, the greatest three-point shooter. When you see greatness, you want to mimic it. When you eat something great, you want to mimic it. We're talking about Jesus, who was the greatest includer of all time, and he didn't just include to make a difference in the lives of the people that lived then. He included to show us that he wants everybody to have a seat at the table, and as the greatest, he wants us to mimic his life and do the same in our own lives, in our own towns, with the people that are a part of our own schedules. So we're going to look at a moment that we've looked at before, um, but we're going to look at it from a different angle. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, um, and this is early on in Jesus's ministry, but there's a few milestones that have already taken place. Uh, in Jesus's ministry. So he's already had the Sermon on the Mount, which is the, the most famous sermon of all time. This kind of kicked off Jesus's ministry. This is where we get a lot of our theology from, is Jesus right off the bat says, you've said this, but this is truth. And then he calms the storm with his voice, and then, and then he just starts to perform all of these miracles that we see. In fact, right before this, um, he, he's healed a cripple, and, and what he's shown us already early on is, is Jesus's power. And, and what we're going to see in this moment, in this little interaction, this short, brief interaction, almost an interruption from Jesus' ministry, is a different kind of power and a different kind of healing, the power of feeling loved and validated. And so Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, 
is where we kick in. And we're going to walk through it slowly because there's so much history in this. And if you don't know the history, it just seems like a random moment. But if you do know the history, you recognize what Jesus is actually doing in this moment. So Matthew chapter 9, here's what it says. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, who's heard this story before? Many of us have, because we've talked about it here before, but I want to make sure you really understand what's happening culturally, because Jesus's ministry took place right in the middle of a culture battle between the Jews and the Romans, and it wasn't a literal battle, but there was tension. We see that today, that there's all types of divisions in culture based on what you believe, based on who you vote for, based on where you grew up, right? There's all these, so there was a huge one, but it was so much more uh, so, so much more magnitude behind this one because it affected their lives in a significant way. So you had the Jews, and, and Jesus' early followers were Jewish. They grew up in a Jewish family. And for the most part, though not always, but for the most part, the Jews were the lower to middle class of society. And then there were the Romans, and the Romans, to the Jews, God's chosen people, the Romans represented evil and oppression and suppression because they ran the government, and the government was very corrupt and very greedy. Um, some historians say the greediest government of all time. Um, like, we think taxes are bad now. Nothing compared to what a lot of the Jews would have had to tax. Some, some historians say that, that the Roman government would have taxed, depending on where your tax bracket was and what year you lived in, like up to 80 to 90% of your income went right to the government. So when they think of the Roman people, all they think of is how they have been oppressed by them. So this is the tension in the battle that Jesus's ministry is taking place right in the middle of it. So the Jews would have considered tax collectors, those who collected money for the Roman government, to be the worst of the worst, right? Like they're the ones that are taking what I have earned and, and giving it to this oppressive government or giving it to King Herod. So Matthew, who's one of the tax collectors, a Jewish man, working for the Roman government to take money from the Jews. Like, he is the traitor. He's like the ultimate hypocrite. Like, he almost represents, um, like, the last person that these disciples would have wanted to include in their group, right? He was like the don't invite him guy. Like, in, when you were a teenager, you know that person that you're like, is that person really coming? They're just going to ruin everything. They're kind of the Debbie Downer, right? That's, that's Matthew. That's what Matthew represents in this moment. So Jesus is with his disciples, and th it's a small group at this point. This isn't even the full 12 yet. Like, this is, this is a small group that, it, that have been invited by Jesus saying, listen, I'm going to give you special access to me. And so what Jesus is about to do is turn this whole thing on its head. Because, like, the tax collector, like, ah, this guy, let's just keep walking. But Jesus slows down and he talks to them, okay? And, and, and in this moment, it's so important we realize that he represents, Matthew represents like the last, if you threw a party, who's the last person you'd invite? That's their, that's, that's their Matthew right here, okay? Here's, how, here's what Jesus does. He stops and he talks to him, which most, most people just kept, you pay, then you walk on. He says, hey, Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and he followed him. And what Jesus isn't just saying is, hey, come watch what I'm doing for a little bit. He's saying, leave what you know, and your full-time job now is following me. Like, leave your old life behind, which is the same call that, that God has for us. He's, he doesn't say, keep doing what you're doing and then sprinkle me in on Sundays. He says, leave this to follow this. That's what he's saying here. I imagine the tension from these disciples. They didn't say anything because Jesus was their leader, and, and they, like, they knew he was powerful, but they were kind of like, what's this guy doing? Do you know who that guy is? Like, there's, there's this tension that's just, just kind of brewing here, and it, when you're reading it, you're like, it doesn't seem like a hard decision for Matthew to leave all that he knew, to leave his job 
to follow Jesus. And it, it probably wouldn't have been because at this point, even though it's early on in Jesus's ministry, he would have known who he was. Like when, when you calm the sea with your voice and you heal cripples and you have a teaching that every time you teach huge crowds show up and you've fed thousands of people and you've turned water into wine, you got a reputation now, right? So Jesus, as he's traveling through these little small towns, like word has spread. Everywhere he goes, there's this crowd following him. So people are even probably, I imagine, watching from afar every interaction Jesus has. And so when Jesus stops and talks to you, it's like a celebrity walking through town and talking to you. So the fact that he gets one of these select invites, there's no way he would turn that down, right? Because it was such a select few that actually made that team that were invited to, to, to walk with Jesus in that way at this point in Jesus's ministry. Only a handful had really been asked that way. Um, anybody American Idol fans? Some of you are like, that show is still on. Anybody else watch it? Is it just me? Okay, it's just me. So uh, I think it's in season 47 now. I don't know what it is. I honestly did not watch it at all until last year. Um, we were that bored during the pandemic. It took a global pandemic to get me. It's like, fine, I'll, I'll finally watch American Idol God. And I did. And I'll tell you, every Sunday night, I don't know if I cry more in another hour of the week than American Idol Sunday nights at 8 p.m. because they have these stories that like just move you and they're so impactful because it's all this undiscovered talent. It's like this high school girl is like, how's you singing at the water fountain? Someone said I should try out. And then she's got this amazing voice. Or like last season, this one went viral, this trash man. He's like, I was just singing country while I was picking up trash. And then he's got this amazing voice. It's like these, these incredible stories. But it, what, what makes the show fun isn't just like the auditions where you're like, whoa, that person can sing. But it's that each week, the judges have to kind of raise the bar of who gets invited to the next round. So you get invited to the top 40, but there's some people that they're talented, but not necessarily t talented enough to make it to the top 20. And not necessarily talented enough to make it to the top 12, and then the top 10, then the 8, then the 5. So, like, the, the threshold gets raised a little bit with each week. So, there's people that are incredibly talented, but they're not going to make it to the top 10. So, with each invitation, it's that much more meaningful. Like, they cry every week that they get invited. Because they realize just, like, this is even more meaningful of an invitation. Of a, like, like, it was cool to make the top 40, but to make the top 10? That's unbelievable, because you, you look at the people that you're beating out to do it. Like, the more selective the invitation, the more meaningful it is, right? So for Matthew, this was a selective invitation. You don't turn that down, right? So you and I have been invited and included into things in our lives where because of how exclusive it was, that's how meaningful it was. That's what I think is important for us to realize is just how significant that was. And what Jesus is showing us is this, is that being included is a powerful act of love and validation, right? Like when you feel included in a friend group, when you feel included in someone's busy schedule and somebody that you look up to and they make time for you, like that's, that's validating. That, that, what a beautiful act of love that we can show to other people when we include them in our lives. That's why it's so easy for Matthew to leave all he knew and say yes. Like it looks like an easy invitation on the surface, but when you realize what the invitation actually is, you're like, wow, well, how could you say no to that? That Jesus was the greatest includer of all time. He included people that everyone else overlooked. Jesus included people that everyone else wrote off or had gotten annoyed with or, or just forgotten about. Like in that culture, um, the teachers like Jesus would have been rabbis, and, and they really only selected the best of the best. Like they selected those who came from the finest families, 
Um, usually families that had certain connections that others didn't, the most educated, the ones that were the smartest, the ones that were the hardest working. Like They had these credentials, and not very few men would have been invited into that. Jesus took a different approach. Because he's asking like fishermen and, and tax collectors to follow him. What Jesus is looking for, and it's the same today, his invitation is available to all of us. What he's looking for are people who are willing to say yes. It, it doesn't have to do with your education or your background. It has to do with, with how willing are you to leave behind the tax collector's booth to follow me. And often those are people that are overlooked by society. Those are people that are the outsiders of society. So Matthew felt validated that he was good enough to be included into Jesus' family. We can all probably think of times when you felt validated because you were included into something. Maybe a sports team that you wanted to make as a kid and you made the team and you saw your name on the list and some of you are like, I've never made anything so I can't resonate with that. But like there, there's, or even as an adult, like you got the job you wanted. Like I know for a lot of you, like I remember I'll get emails or texts like, hey, I'm, I've applied for this job, I'd love to get it. And when you get it, like to get invited and included to be on that staff, on that team and that company, that's so validating. Like there's no greater feeling than to be included in the things you, wanting, you want to be included in. So one of the most powerful things we can do in return to mimic Jesus here is to include someone else into our life, is to include other people into our busy schedule. Like the next time you, you throw a party, who do you need to invite? Maybe not the first person you'd think of, but who are the other people around you that they're not getting those invites? And that invite would mean everything to you. We've all had invites like that, where you're invited. It's like, hey, thanks for inviting me over. That was awesome. Like, I'll, I'll be invited to things. And again, I got invited to a friend's party, and it was just a handful of friends that he wanted to come over. And it like, I was like, wow, I, I, I didn't think I was in that inner circle. Like, it means a lot when we include people into our lives. That's, that's how Matthew would have felt with Jesus. That's how I hope you feel with Jesus, is that Jesus gives you that same invitation. So here's how it goes on. Verse 10. So that was one verse. <laughs> That's why I say there's so much depth here. Verse 10. Later, Matthew was so excited about this invitation that he invited and, uh, Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with all of his friends, his tax collector friends, his other disreputable sinners. This is probably the first time for a lot of them that they've had this kind of close proximity to Jesus. And he's excited. Like he's throwing a party and it's just this packed house it would have gone against all covid restrictions like i mean it is it is slam packed right here right so and, and it's a party of the outsiders of the overlooked uh, of the wretched it's a collection of all the people the disciples did not want to be in a room with okay so imagine like your top 10 last people you want to party with you just got invited to that party you got to go because jesus said we're going all right so you're in the middle of this and in that room too we don't really know where, but for the Pharisees, who are the religious people, the people who all they're thinking about are the things Jesus is doing wrong. He says, this is what we've learned, and Jesus is doing this. And you're only supposed to include the best of the best. You're not supposed to hang out with these people. You don't hang out with the Romans. The Romans are against us. So the Pharisees are kind of, they're not even saying this to Jesus. They're saying this to his disciples. They're gossiping about Jesus. They're saying this, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Because they're looking around this room, probably one of the only times in their lives they've ever been at a dinner party with these people. And like, what are you doing? Don't you know that we're the chosen people? We don't hang out with the Romans. We don't hang out with the scum. Because again, these religious leaders only included the cleanest people, the ones who had their lives together. And, and I think a lot of people have that view of God. They, they have this warped view of God that he's only going to include them if they clean up their lives first. 
Like they've got to get some things together. In fact, I'll, every now and then, I'm not calling anybody out, but I, I, I do want to speak against this wrong theology. I, I think that Sometimes we think, we, it's like, I want to get baptized, I know I need to, but I need to do this, 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 this. You've got it backwards. You cannot clean yourself up without Jesus. So to try to do it and then invite Jesus in, that's not how it works. And that's why Jesus is so eager to include Matthew, because he recognizes that it's only through that relationship that Matthew's able to have that transformed life. Jesus doesn't go to Matthew and say, hey, I'm going to give you three months to figure it out, to turn from your greed and selfishness, and then I'll come back, and if there's been progress, then you can follow me. No, he does the opposite. He says, come as you are. Now, does he expect Matthew to change? Yes, of course he does. But he knows that that change happens through a relationship with Jesus. Our spiritual transformation, our turning from our sin, like that, that happens through repentance and choosing to follow Jesus. We don't clean up our lives first and then come to Jesus. It's Jesus says, follow me and I'll show you how. And that's a big difference. There's a big difference because we live in a year and in a time that the definition of inclusion is different than what the Bible defines it as, right? Like when we think of the word inclusion today, it mean, like, like culture today has a different defining, politically correct, cancel culture definition of that word. Like the 2021 definition of inclusion is to include everyone as they are with, with, with no expectation of them changing at all. In fact, even the offering of somebody changing at all would say you're judgmental, right? That's not Jesus's definition of inclusion. That's not the Bible's definition of inclusion. Here's Jesus's, is Jesus includes everyone, but he loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. Because healthy things grow and mature. And if we're healthy and following Jesus, we will grow, we will mature, we better change. Not because that's how Jesus loves us more, but as we grow closer to Jesus, we become more like him. And the reason Jesus has no problem eating with sinners or the scum, as the Pharisees called them, is because he wants to help them get out of the scum. He wants to help them get out of the sin. It's, it's not because he loves being around the sin. It's just the opposite. He's motivated to help clean them up. So here's how Jesus responds. He's almost excited for this question. Here's what he says. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. You see where he's headed with this? Then he added, go. Siri just thought I said something to it. I didn't say anything serious. My iPad's yelling at me right now. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call, not those who think they're righteous. He's calling them out right there in front of everybody. They're probably embarrassed. They got embarrassed a lot by Jesus. There's like never a moment where the Pharisees say something and he doesn't embarrass them. Like he's always got a way of having a good response. But those who know they're sinners, I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And he's saying, hey, you're just as dirty everybody in the room. The difference is they know it, and you think you can clean yourself up on your own. See, Jesus includes you as you are, and, and, this is the important, and he wants to attack the sin in your life. That's the sickness he's referring to. It's so important. See, a lot of us think, Jesus loves me, and I don't have to change anything about myself. No, it's Jesus loves you, and he includes you, and he wants you to be more like him. It's both. So imagine, imagine, it'd be like if you went to the doctor, and you just got horrible news that you didn't expect. You went to the doctor and you found out you had some illness you'd never heard of. 
and, and it, it slowly over time will make you weaker and weaker. But the doctor says, we, we know how to heal it. We know how to treat it. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of discipline. You're going to have to change your, your diet. But we can get through this if you allow me and you trust me to help you to get healthy through this. But if you don't, it's all good. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to ask too much of you. Like, you know, the medicine's there, but I'm chill. Whatever you want to do. A good doctor wouldn't do that, right? No, that'd be ridiculous because a good doctor's job is to help you get healthier. And if they know the way to help you get healthier, they're going to make sure that you do. They're going to check in on you. They, like, they're not going to be okay with you just continuing to do unhealthy things because they're afraid of offending you. Because if they truly care about you, they're going to push you towards health. A good doctor won't let their patients remain sick. A good savior won't let their followers remain sinful. That's why he says, turn from your sin. It means, like, the way you're facing can't work anymore if you want to follow me. You have to shift your entire life around. Matthew, if you really want to follow me, you have to leave this life. It's not like we'll sprinkle it in. You have to leave this behind to follow me. See, Jesus wants to include us, but he also expects change. Not, he loved Matthew from day one. It's not like, I love you more now that you've changed. It's not that. It's, it's that healthy things grow. And if Matthew kept doing what he was doing as a tax collector, Jesus would have been bothered by that because even though Jesus loved him regardless of if he changed or not, he expected as his follower for him to become more holy, for him to become more like Jesus. It'd be like parents. Don't you expect your kids to grow? Like, I have a five-year-old daughter, Hazel. It would be weird if she didn't grow any more the rest of her life. Like, at 25 years old, she looks the exact same. That'd be weird and unhealthy. And, like, we'd be like, something's up. Didn't expect that twist, right? You expect healthy things to grow. Healthy kids grow. Healthy followers of Jesus, you grow. If you look at your life and you haven't grown at all in the past year, in the past two years, in the past three years, you can't blame other people. It's maybe you're not putting Jesus first as much as you thought. Maybe you haven't turned as much as you thought you did because healthy things grow. Jesus expects his followers to grow and mature. In fact, there's a process that a lot of us try to avoid called pruning that Jesus talks about in John 15. That's the idea of pruning. And he's using a gardening method-like term there. He's saying for, for good plants to keep growing, you have to cut off the dead parts so that new fruit can grow. Spiritually, he's saying that that's what your life will look like. If you really want to grow, then God's going to allow hard, painful things in your life to help you to grow. It's like working out. Like if you want to work out those muscles, when you're working out, in the moment of running, that's painful on your legs. In the moment of lifting weights, it's painful on your muscles. But what is it doing? That pain is transforming into muscles grown. That's what pruning is, is God is allowing circumstances in your life to help your spiritual muscles to grow. So there might be a stressful relationship that you're like, God, why can't you fix this? And maybe God's allowed that in your life right now because he's trying to teach you grace through it. He's trying to teach you love through it. He's trying to grow those muscles. Maybe there's a season of just significant waiting and you're just waiting and you're like, God, why won't you just answer this for me? Maybe it's because God's trying to teach you patience. He's saying, you know what? Your patience muscle is very weak and I'm trying to help it to grow. So I'm putting you in the last circumstance you want to be in, and all you're doing is, God, get me out of it, and he's saying, you're missing the whole point. 
It'd be like somebody who's lifting weights and they're like, this is the worst. The whole point of it is your muscles are growing. It's not about the pain. It's about the growth. That's what Jesus is doing here. So it might be helpful for you to take a moment and just think in your life, what's the painful situation you're in that you wish God would just remove you from or take out of your life right now? Is it possible that that's exactly where God's pruning you? Because he wants you to grow. He wants you to get stronger. Jesus was and is the greatest includer of all time, and he calls his followers to do the same. He calls us to live in a way that we're actively looking to include people into our lives and connect them to Jesus. We, at, at Grace Church, the term we use for that is being outwardly focused, that you're going out of your way to consider the spiritually disconnected people around you. You're looking for ways to include them into your busy schedule. You're looking for ways to help them to feel loved and validated just as Matthew did. That if we really want to follow Jesus, the greatest of all time, we will mimic him by doing the same with our lives. And I want to close with this story. Um, an example of, of how Jesus' followers did this in the Bible, in Mark chapter 2. And this is another story that you may have heard before, but man, there's so much history here. It's so significant, and it gives us a model of what Jesus wants us to do to, with, with our own neighbors, with our own friends today. Mark chapter 2, it says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Again, everywhere Jesus went, there's crowds. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door, okay? So imagine this setting. These are small little houses, and it's just, it's jam-packed. While he's preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, I'm going to pause there because this, this would be viewed almost the opposite then than today. Today, if you help a sick person or, or, or a homeless person or a paralyzed person, you, you film it, you put it on Facebook, it's going to go viral. Like, you're, you're celebrated for that, right? Like, you helped the down and out. In that day, it was the opposite. In that day, it was a common cultural belief that if you were born paralyzed or with some type of disease or disorder, that that was a punishment from God. That's what they believed. They believed that was the result of, of generational sin, that your parents had such a bad life that God's punishing you through their offspring. Now, just so you know, that's not theologically sound at all. That's not biblical. The idea of generational sin is not biblical, not at all. Like, we are all accountable for our own sins. You're not punished because of something your parents did. But that was a common belief and philosophy that people had, which means this. Here's how that plays out. A paralyzed person in that culture would have been walked past and almost shamed, right? Because you're cursed by God. If I help you, I'm going against God's work. That's what people felt. So in that culture, it was so backwards that the down and outs were often overlooked because they actually felt like that would go against living a good life to help them. That's why when Jesus comes in, he says, if you've done this for the least of these, you've served me. He's showing them, you guys got it all wrong. They're not cursed. They need your help. And so these men, these four men who carried this paralyzed man, we don't know how far they went, but they could have walked a mile, two miles in the Middle Eastern sun. They didn't have like a 20, 21-year-old, 2021 stretcher to help them. So they're like on a blanket. He's probably falling off at points. They're probably, their arms are exhausted and tired, and they're walking past people who are shaming them for it, right? Because everyone's like, why are you helping this man? Imagine that. Like, there's no social gain for this. It's the opposite. They're being ridiculed. There's probably people stopping them and saying, "Why stop. This man's cursed by God. But they knew it was different. They were eager to connect this man to Jesus. Verse 4. 
They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Vandalism in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. (laughs) Like, what a cool scene, right? Like, the owner of the house is like, can you stop? There's a hole in my roof. They don't care. And it's not like this is a quick moment. Like, there's probably digging a hole through the roof and lowering a paralyzed man probably took a while. And it's this awkward moment. It's like, what's actually happening there? So that's all that's happening there. They lower this man, seeing their faith. Everybody's looking. Again, everybody's expecting them to ri- him to ridicule these men, right? They're watching Jesus, and they're waiting for him to say, you don't help this man. We've cursed him. Seeing this, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. See, these guys were so passionate about their friend knowing Jesus that Nothing was going to stop them from being the bridge. And their legacy became the guys who helped their friend become included in the Jesus movement. I just, I wonder what the world would look like if just even the people in this room had that same passion to connect their friends to Jesus. Like, I get convicted because I think, I don't know how many strangers that I would carry across town just to help them. Too busy for that. Too selfish for that, if I'm being honest, right? I mean, just imagine the power of us actually including people in, of not being too busy, of allowing space in our lives and in our schedule for God interruptions, because I'll be honest, those are the times when God does the most amazing things. It's not like during the predetermined, I scheduled God to show up here. It's the interruptions. But a lot of times we're too busy for the interruptions. I imagine all these men had jobs, Imagine they all had other things to do, but they wanted the opportunity to connect this man to Jesus. See, Jesus was the greatest includer of all time, which means as his followers, we should be the greatest includers of our time, in our towns. We should be known for how well we include all kinds of people. So maybe a question we need to ask ourselves is, is who do we need to include more into our life? In fact, I'm asking right now that a name comes to mind for you, that God just puts a name on your heart. You know what? I need to make more time for them, and I know that. I know I need to, and we talk about this, but, but seriously, maybe that's exactly where God wants to work. In fact, let me ask this. Who do you resist spending time with the most or being around? Because <laughs> for the disciples, it was Matthew. And so what did Jesus do to show them how he wanted to live their lives? He said, hey, Matthew, come on. He probably winked at the disciples. He's like, you're going to hate this for a little while, right? But he knew that that's the area of their hearts that they got to deal with. That's the area of their hearts where there's sinful weeds growing that Jesus is trying to grow out because there's bitterness, there's hostility, there's anger, there's selfishness. And he's like, that's what we're going to work on. And how we're going to work on it? I'm bringing them into your life. How are they going to work on the bitterness in your heart? Bring them into your life include who you most resist. Some of you are like, nope, already say no to that one. I'll do the others, but not this one. If you really want to follow Jesus, if you want to follow the posture of his inclusion, that's what it looks like. Jesus loves you too much to let those sinful weeds stay there in your heart. And the art of including someone can can be a quick remedy to heal anger and darkness. So who do you need to invite to your next party? right? Because the act of being included is powerful and it's validating. 
And we can all think of times when someone, including us, it changed our hearts, gave us confidence. I'll close with this story. When I was in high school, freshman in high school, just like a lot of kids going to a new school, I, I was just trying to figure out, like, I was terrified, I was insecure. Um, I was very much an introvert in my life until I started to follow Jesus, uh, seriously, until about junior year of high school. I just didn't want to talk to many. I was so insecure, terrified of everybody. And so the one group I thought would accept me was the theater group, because they're, they're weird like me. So I'm like, we can get along. And so I tried out for a play in hopes that I could have like that cast and hang out with them for a few months, and I didn't make it. And the director felt bad for me, so he made up a position, like the director now, like he, he said, you're not in the cast, but you're the assistant stage manager, which meant I was like the intern. And I, I got coffee and cleaned up the puke. Clean up the puke, Stephen. And like, not really puke, that'd be weird if there was, but I was the person in charge of all the grunt. Like he just wanted, he just wanted me to be around. He knew how much it meant to me. So he made up this position and, and I didn't have much to do, but just being in the room was cool. Now it was mostly juniors and seniors in this place. So I didn't really know them. They all, they'd all been friends for a few years. They'd been in place together. So they had inside jokes and they had circles. You, you guys know the feeling where it's like, they're all kind of laughing at stuff and they're like, who's this guy again? I'm the assistant stage manager, right? I, I didn't, they didn't know who I was. And, um, and so it was fun to be there, but I also didn't fully feel like I was a part of the group yet. And it was, you know, I was a freshman, so that's fine. And uh, about, about a month or two in to rehearsals, uh, one of the seniors, a guy named John, recognized that uh, he lived, he didn't live that far from me, and he offered to give me a ride home instead of my mom having to drive out to the school at like 5 p.m. and pick me up. And man, I was like, are you talking to me? <laughs> like, I didn't expect that. And he's like, no, seriously, I'll give you a ride home. And he didn't have to do that. Like, I remember in high school, some of my favorite moments were rolling down the windows, listening to my own music, not driving some freshman home. So, like, I'm in the passenger seat with him. And, like, again, so insecure, so I didn't say a lot. But he, he gave me a ride home. I said, thanks, man. And then the next rehearsal, he said, hey, do you just want me to give you a ride home every time? I said, that'd be awesome. Thanks, man. And I did, we didn't talk a lot on the ride home, he'd ask a few questions, but it was just like, to me, it was showed that I was worth his time. I was worth his energy. And then a little bit more at the rehearsals, like he'd kind of include me in the conversations or he'd, or he'd like ask me a question to kind of pull me in. Like at the cast parties, he, he, he told my mom, hey, you don't have to pick, her, pick him up later or do a party after the show. Like, I'll just give him a ride. And, and then like one of the nights I ended up hanging out with, it was like four seniors and me and then he gave me a ride home at like midnight. And I remember going to bed that night and I'd be like, my confidence has changed in this group because this one guy took the time to include me. Like that's a powerful thing, right? We can all think of people who, who kind of were a little bit further down the road that when they invited us and when they included us, it changed everything. And here's why I think it's so important is you need to be that for someone else. If you truly want to follow Jesus and mimic his life, there need to be people behind you, and that's their story. Is I remember when Stephen invited me. I remember when Stephen made time for me. We should never be too busy for that. Because Jesus, and his job was a little bit more important than yours, but he was never too busy for that. And I'm not putting down your job. What I'm saying is, if you really want to live with the pattern and the posture of Jesus, you're not too busy for that. Jesus included everyone, and he wants us to do the same. He wants us to be known for that in our time. He wants people around you to say, you know what? That person, Stephen, I know I'm worth his time. I know I'm worth his energy.
I hope you know that you're worth Jesus's time and energy. I hope you know that you're worth our time and energy. In fact, I, a lot of times, this is a disclaimer I hear from, uh, from a lot of you in emails and texts. It's like, hey, I know you're busy, but if you have time, I just wanted to chat with you. I know you're busy. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have even sent this email. I'm so sorry that you, I made sure this email. It's like, apologize. I'm like, how dare you email me? I am so busy. I do not have time. I would never say that. But I think that's like, don't, please don't ever be shy to reach out to us or to reach out to your life group leader, or to reach out to your pastor, or to reach out to the people around you. I hope that we have the kind of culture that you know we're never too busy for you. It might take a week, because I might have stuff booked up, but I'm never too busy for that. Because I want to have the same kind of heart as Jesus, that, no, I'm going to make time, and I think he wants us to do the same. I hope the people around you know that they are worth your time and your energy. Just imagine the confidence we'd all have if we believed those things. So I want to close by just praying together. Um, And I just want to um, start with our own relationship with God. So uh, let's pray. God, first, I just want to pray for the people in the room that have bought into the lie that they aren't worth your time or your energy. God, I pray that they just have a renewed confidence that you include everyone, and you love us too much to let us stay the way that we are. So God, where we need to be pruned, I pray that you give us an abundance of strength and of patience to push through and to recognize that you're actually growing us through that process, God. Lord, I I just want to pray for the people in our lives, the, the names that might be on our hearts right now that we need to be more available for, that we need to go out of our way for more. Just like the paralyzed man on the stretcher, God, I want to I live my life in a way that I'm never too busy to make time for the people around me, especially those who are spiritually disconnected, those who are far from you, because I recognize that my effort, my reaching out to them could be the bridge, God, that you do want to use us to connect more and more people to you, God. So I pray that we're not satisfied with what we're doing now, but that we're willing and we're eager to push to do more because there's more to do, God. Thank you that you want to include us into your plan. Thank you that you love us and you make time for us and you have a seat for us, God. If there's anybody in this room that's never fully turned from their old life, from their old self, from the the sin in their life, the selfishness in their heart, the disobedience towards you and the selfishness towards the people around them and said yes to you. I pray that they do just as Matthew did, that they say yes, that they ask you even right now, God, will you help me to turn from my sin? God, I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. God, will you you forgive me for that? I want to have a new life with you where I'm leaving my old self behind to know you. I want to go all in and put you first, God. If there's anybody that needs to pray that, I pray that they don't waste any longer time. They just come before you right now. They pray that in their heart, God. Lord, I thank you that you do care about us. I thank you that you've modeled a better way of life for us, God, and I pray that we are eager to mimic it in our own. We pray this in your name. Amen.